an exciting season in the life of our church. Over the past five years, Grace Life has grown by an average of 33% each year. We've had to rent multiple spaces in this warehouse park and now have expanded to three services on Sunday mornings. When you walk in here, there's just such a, a genuine feeling. And there was no, okay, well, we don't have to go to church. We we're like, okay, when is, you know, when's the next service? And we kept coming. The things that we leave with, we use it throughout the week and we come back with those aha moments like we got it. Grace Life has a great legacy of seeing lives changed. And if we want to continue having this impact, I personally believe, and the leaders of Grace Life believe, God is calling us to take a crucial step. And that is to build our first permanent home. So together, let's be involved, let's pray, let's give, and we will reach our world. Yeah, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Well, we've been in a series called Reach Our World, focused on two things for six weeks now, and we've reached the end. And all along, those two things haven't changed. They are still, first, to help you have the greatest impact possible in the lives of the people around you, and then for us as a church to have the greatest impact possible by taking that next crucial step that we need to take. And so the point that we're at today those two become the same. They intersect. As I talk about one, I'm talking about the other. We began the series talking about a vision for your life and then surrendering to God, hearing His voice, following His voice. And then last week, talking about how we can believe He will do something impossible through us. All of this ends, very appropriately in my opinion, if you're going to begin with a vision for your life from God, it needs to end with leaving a legacy. Doing something that's greater than yourself having an impact in someone else's life that will far outlast you. You see, you can actually try to become famous, but that's not the same thing. We could go around the room right now. We've got some young people, and we've got some less than young people. Nice. And so we could have some of the young people tell us who their favorite artists are today, who their favorite singers are, rock stars, rap stars, pop stars, whatever we even call them. That just gave them my age, didn't it? And there are many people in the room that would have no idea who they are. Or we could go around the room and talk about some NBA players who are just incredible today. And there are other people in the room that would say, who are they? You see, fame and fortune both fade. Those don't last. That's not the same as leaving a legacy. But a legacy is something that outlasts you. You see, a legacy is when you make a difference in someone's life. You change a life. And then that life changes a life. And then that life changes a life. See how this works? And then that life changes a life. And your impact never ends. That's what leaving a legacy is about. It's doing something that is greater than you and will outlast you. When I was 16 years old, it was when I became a believer. And I had gone to church my whole life. But that was the first time that I understood there was an exchange of saying, Okay, God, I will live for you. But there was something else that happened at that moment because up until being 16, I had developed a goal in my life to be rich. Many people do, but mine was personal. You see, I grew up in what our country called lower middle class, and sometimes I think that was being kind because my dad worked three jobs to give us everything that we needed, and it seems there was never enough even then. Every time you asked for something, the answer was usually, well, no, we can't afford that. So if that's Middle class, even on the low end, I'm not sure what that's supposed to be like. But 
I was tired of hearing no. I was tired of hearing there was never enough. And so I decided I was going to be a doctor, a surgeon to be specific, and the ones who made the most money, a thoracic surgeon, not because I enjoyed open-heart surgery, just because they got the biggest paychecks. I wanted to be rich. I didn't want to ever face this problem again. And when I became a believer at 16 years old, it wasn't suddenly, yes, I'm going to be a doctor who goes to heaven. All of that died at that moment. Immediately, I knew it wasn't about being rich. It wasn't about making money. I did more that day than make an exchange that sent me to heaven. It was an entire exchange of my life vision. I knew at that moment, I didn't know how and I didn't know what. And I definitely hoped it wouldn't be in the state of South Carolina. But I knew I was going to do something that would invest in other people's lives for the rest of mine because I wanted to leave a legacy. Think about your life. What do you want your life to mean? What do you want people to say now that you have this vision and hopefully you're surrendered to God, you're hearing his voice, you're following his voice, you're waiting for a miracle. What do you want people to say about you when your time is done? When you move to a new town, what do you want the people that you live next door to for so many years to say about you? When you get a new job, what do you want people to say about you because you were a co-worker there? What kind of legacy do you want to live? What kind of impact do you want to have? You see, I've never met anybody yet who will answer the question with, well, no, I'd really like to live a life that's easily forgotten and totally meaningless. I've never heard that from someone. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. But we know the truth. Very few do, right? So where's the disconnect and why is that? And I think the answer is in one of two points. Either many people never give of themselves. They'd like to leave a legacy as long as it costs them nothing. And then the ones who do give to themselves simply don't do it in a way that actually makes a difference. What I want to talk to us today, you've seen this coming all throughout the series, I want to talk to us today about how our treasure can be a part of giving, leaving a legacy that we can give in a way that makes an eternal difference in people's lives. You see, we have an opportunity before us today to do something really special to be a part of building something together. And in this case, I literally mean building something together. And I want to show you that we're not the first people that have ever encountered this. I want to walk you through a passage where King David led people to build the first temple. And there are lots of examples throughout Scripture. This is just the one I've chosen because I think as we go and look at this, we can learn some things that we're facing today that will help us process where we are and where we're going. And so before we get there, if you've got your Bibles, it'll be 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. But I want to set the stage for you. This is near the end of King David's life. And he was the king of the, the Israelites. If you're, you're new to church, that's who he was. And, and he had always wanted to build a temple for God. Because he had looked and said, look at this palace I live in. Look at the great things I have. And yet... All God has is a tent outside. We worship in a tent. God deserves better than that. And so it was, it was in his heart to build a great temple for God. And he began making preparations. And then God said to him, well, David, you're not going to build it. That's not what I have for you. Your son's going to do it instead. Anybody ever had God tell you you're not going to do something you've had your heart set on? Okay. It took a while for David to wrap his brain around the idea he wasn't going to get to do the thing that he wanted to do more than anything else on the earth. And once he finally got to a place where he said, okay, 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 
that's what God's will is, if that's what God wants for me, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set my son up for such great success. I'm going to do everything I can to make him a success at building this temple since it's what he's going to do. It's really like I did it. He's just going to get all the credit for it. He didn't lay down the burden, even though God told him he wasn't going to do it. That's where we pick up the story. And so now King David is old at this point in his life. Everybody knows his son is going to become king. Everybody knows he's not going to live much longer. So he gathers everybody together and he gives them this. King David said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. The first thing we see anytime God puts us in this situation is the work is great. I began the series talking about a vision for your life, telling you if God gives you a true vision for your life, it'll be bigger than you can do, and it will always impact other people. And that's what they were facing. The work was great. Their work was very great. What they were planning to build was something to represent an entire nation. And they had an entire nation coming together saying, we're going to build a house of worship for our people so that when another nation sees it, they will know our God is the greatest on the earth. Their project was going to be over 20 stories high, and that was back in biblical times before skyscrapers and steel. Pretty amazing. It was going to cost over $100 billion equivalent in today's economy. Wow. And the point was very simple. It's too much for even the king to do by himself. Well, our work is great as well. It's not quite something that we're trying to get every other nation on the earth to come and recognize, and, and we're not a whole nation coming together to do. So praise God, our price tag's not $100 billion. Somebody's excited about that, right? Amen? But it is $3.5 million, which is still plenty. And it's still too much for me to do. But it's not too much for us to do. It's too much for the worship team to do, but it's not too much for all of us to do. It's too much for the nursery or the greeters or the media team to do, but it is not too much for all of us to do. And then I want to touch on that last phrase there where it says that the palace will not be for man, but for God. You ever had someone kind of guilt you into doing something for God that you didn't really want to do? I'm not doing that here today. I want you to know that. I grew up where they always said this was God's house. That was the kind of church I went to. And you can't run in God's house, right? This is God's house. Don't run in here. Stop it. This is God's house. Don't, don't whisper in here. Don't yell in here. And I've never figured that out because the Bible actually talks about shouting to the Lord. Why can I not run in that room? God's the one that gave me legs that work. Y'all didn't ever think that stuff? Y'all just didn't grow up in one of those churches. Here's my point. That building was not God's house. And this building is not God's house. And the thing we're going to build is not God's house. This is God's house. That is God's house, and that is God's house. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. We're not building a house for God. He doesn't need us to build a house for Him. But it is still for Him. And when I say that, what I mean is the purpose is for His glory, not for ours. You see, when you build a man cave, and you put your favorite recliner in it, and your big screen TV and then you put a lock on the door and don't give your wife a key? First of all, stupid. But we'll do a marriage series for you later. That's for your glory. What we're doing today is for his glory. That's what we've been preparing for. That's what we're talking about. So King David goes on to say, So I have provided for the house of my God as far as I was able. 
the gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood. Here's what he's meaning. As king, I did everything I could. When we conquered somebody and we took their stuff, I set it aside for this day. When people came in and they gave taxes or they gave offerings or, or whatever to the royal treasury, I set it aside for this day. As king, I've done everything possible to prepare us for this moment. And I want to tell you that the leaders of Grace Life, I think we can stand here with a good conscience. Actually, I know. We can stand here with a good conscience and tell you we've done the same. We don't operate like many churches. Many churches operate off of projections and hopes and, and they're, they're always kind of, oh no, are we going to make it? And we learned a, a different way of operating financially years ago from another church. We didn't invent this. Where we only operate on 90% of whatever we made the year before. And then we even tithe 10% of that 90, right? Does that make sense? So there's 10% not getting spent at any moment. The reason for it is when God says, I want you to go do this project in your city, we don't have to go, well, God, we'd like to. We don't have the money. We say, yes, God. When God says, I want you to go take care of those people who need something, we say, yes, God. And when a flood comes, like we just had happen, and we don't even get to have church and nobody gives an offering, guess what? We're not broke, and we're still here the next week. It's called margin. By the way, it'd be a fun way to run your life. Instead of actually budgeting every single penny that you make and then there's no opportunity for something, well, that's another message for another day. But I want you to know that the leaders of Grace Life have done everything possible to put us in the same position King David was in. And so over the years, we've been able to set aside enough extra that we've purchased property and it's almost paid off. We've been able to do all of the designs that you see, all of the pictures, all of the permits. We're about $150,000 into that process, and we still have $100,000 in the bank, and no one has started an offering yet to the building fund. That's come out of us as leaders trying to say, so far as we were able, we were good stewards of what you've done. But just as King David said, so far as I was able as king, it's not enough, then I have to tell you the same. It didn't add up to $3.5 million yet. We're working on it. But King David went on to say this, Moreover, in addition to all that I've provided for the holy house as king should be right there, I personally have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. And so he gave, sounds like a lot, 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, the best gold, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. And so he said, look, as far as it goes, as a king, I've done everything I can. And then me as a person, I've taken this personally to be a part of this and to lead the way. And he finishes with saying, who will join me? Who then will willingly offer consecrating himself today? We see the second point of when God's people are faced with something, the work is personal. You see, he wasn't doing this because he was king. It was never a charge that the king would build a temple. The king before him didn't build one. No king after it was built would ever build one. This wasn't his job as king. He wanted to build a temple because he loved God. It's the same reason he wrote the majority of our book of Psalms. He didn't do that because he was king. He did that because he loved God. The Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. He actually did some of the worst sins. Do you all know that? I mean, adultery, murder, horrible parenting. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it, it wasn't 
because he was king, it was because he loved God. Despite some of the sins that he did, God saw his heart was turned towards him. I don't know about you, but I take a lot of comfort in King David. That it's not about getting it right. If I can keep my heart pointed at God, it's the most important thing. And so for King David, this was not a corporate thing. This was not a national thing. This was personal. You ever had somebody come to you and say, hey, can we talk? By the way, don't take this personally, but. How does it ever go, whatever comes out of their mouth after that? Because whatever they're about to say is incredibly personal. They come to you and say something like, hey, look, don't take this personally, but you stink. I mean, do you brush your teeth? And, and you're looking at them like, what do you mean don't take it personally? You think there's like a cloud of smell that follows me? No, you're talking about me. Somebody says, don't take it personally, but you know, nobody around here likes you. How do you not take it personally? It's me, the person they don't like. Of course you take it personally. And I want to encourage you today to take your worship personally. And here's why. He died for you personally. He blesses you personally. He loves you personally. Everything he's ever done or ever will do, he's done for you and will do for you personally. He doesn't just throw a heap of blessings down to earth and say, y'all go fight it out. He takes care of every single one of us personally according to the needs we have. And I want to invite you to make your worship back to him just as personal as King David did. Don't leave it for somebody else. And he goes on, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the Father's houses made their free will offerings. As did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. Then the leaders, the first people to respond to what he asked. Then the leaders. I want you to know as I stand here today, the leaders of Grace Life do not ask you to do something without us. More importantly, the leaders of Grace Life do not ask you to do something with us. The leaders already have. You may not know it, but we did this last night. We had church last night. We worshiped last night. We had every leader of Grace Life that could, was available last night. They came in here last night, and last night we said what we feel God has called us to do to be a part of this. The leaders have already gone. We're not asking you to go with us. We've made a way for you. We went out of the passage where God told the Israelites to go into the promised land, and they had to cross the Jordan. And he told the leaders to actually stand in the water and get their feet wet before the water would stop flowing so everyone else could walk across. We did that. I want you to know the leaders are not up here talking with an empty shell. Does that make sense? We're where we're asking you to go. And so they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord and the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. Which leads us to the point, the work is sacrificial. You see, this was not one of their normal offerings. Nor was this their tithe. You see, their tithe was when they recognized God had blessed them. God had caused the rains and the sun and, and, and allowed their crops to work and had, had given them the ability to be a farmer. And 
or to have a job or whatever it was, and they were simply recognizing God had taken care of them. They were honoring God with what they gave back because that's what his word said to do. And their offerings were what they did to make themselves right with God. You see, every time they went to worship, they had to show up with either a guilt offering or a peace offering or a sin offering or a grain offering, and the list goes on and on and on. Because every time they came to worship, they had to do something to make themselves right with God. You and I never have to make that offering ever again. Jesus has done it for us. The ultimate offering. You never have to walk in this door wondering if you've brought enough to make yourself right with God today. You never have to wonder that. But like them, our tithe still belongs to God. We're all still supposed to recognize that God has blessed us. He's given us health. He's given us jobs. He's given us minds. He's done everything that he could do for us. And we give that back to him. And that's that. What they've done is the next step. They've gone beyond that to say, out of what belongs to me, I want to give it for this because I believe in this and I love him. And it's that simple. It's sacrificial giving above and beyond whatever else is there. I don't know if you know this or not. I didn't know this until I started doing these uh, sermons and doing some research, but I found out somebody has taken the time to write an entire PhD dissertation on this. Aren't you glad it's not you? And they discovered this. There are over 60 building projects in the Bible, and every one of them was funded by over and above giving. Every one of them was funded by people saying, I believe in that and want to be a part of it. So in case you're not wondering what it means to give sacrificially, I'm just going to kind of like walk you through the really obvious. There are levels of giving. And the first level we call not giving. Thank you. The second service must have felt condemned because they didn't make a sound. (laughs) And it's okay. We all start at not giving. We all start at being like, hey, well, I'm just here. God, who's God? What is, whatever, you know? And then eventually God becomes a part of your life. And after God becomes a part of your life, you begin to give him some of your time. You read the Bible every day. And then you might even give him a little more time. And you might, you know, go and serve in a church or do something like that. You might give some of your skill and so forth. And it takes a little while, but eventually we work up to realizing God deserves a place in our wallet as well. And then we move up to that next level of giving called faithful giving. And that's just saying, God, thank you for all you've given me and all that you've done. I want to give back to honor you. But then there's the level that we're talking about today called sacrificial giving. And many of you already do this. You just do it in different areas. Like you've got a friend that comes to you and says, well, I feel like God's called me to go and live around the world and share the gospel. And you say, well, I'm excited for that. And so you, you give them some to help them do that. It's sacrificial giving. And this is sacrificial giving as well. And, and as we talk about how we could each make a difference, I do want to be clear, and, and I've made a little graphic to help be clear about what I do or don't want you to do more importantly. There's a very big don't in this. And so as you can see, when it comes to our lives, we can kind of cut this up into a few pieces. The top box is whatever you already give to God to honor him, and it's what you already give to make grace life possible. And to that, I say thank you. But when we talk about giving sacrificially to build this building, don't take from there. Because whatever you're giving to make this possible, and if you move it over to the building fund, all that means is we'll have a building and nobody to work in it. And there won't be any ministry. And so it actually won't help if you take what you're giving and just put it in a different bucket. It's okay. Thank you for what you're doing. And if God hasn't put it on your heart to be a part of this, that's okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then there's that bottom section. Every time I've taught on finances at Grace Life, I always say that I want everyone at Grace Life to be able to say one of two things. Either I am debt-free or I'm becoming debt-free. 
I don't want you to take one penny from what you're giving to Toyota, Bank of America, Visa, or whatever else. Keep doing it and give them extra. Get out of debt. So the way we're going to build this building is when we give out of sacrifice for the rest of our life. That's, that's not for the rest of your life. Out of the rest of our life. Woo, that'd be a long time. Out of the rest of our life that's fun, that's for us. You see, what's going to happen is some of us are going to walk into this new building someday and look up at the ceiling and go, man, there's some really nice pairs of new shoes I never got to buy in this place. Someone's going to walk in here and say, man, there's a few hunting trips I never, I never got to take in this place. There are going to be some families that walk in and say, yeah, Disney World is in this place. We went to Myrtle Beach instead. And that is our family story. Our vacation for the next three years to make this possible is we're staying at a place somebody's given us for free. Beggars can't be choosers, right? But at least it can see the water, so I'm, God's blessed me. No Disney World, maybe Carowinds. It's sacrifice. But there's one level beyond sacrifice called sacrifice and faith. You see, here's the truth. Some of us can sacrifice by saying, you know, I really love Starbucks. I get a Starbucks coffee every day. When I don't have it, I'm not a nice person. So I'm going to sacrifice one day a week, and I'm going to take my Starbucks money and give it to the building fund. Thank you for your sacrifice. However, it's probably your coworkers that make the bigger sacrifice. They have to live with you all day. Sacrifice when you say, what can I do, is not the same as sacrifice that says, what can God do? And I want to point out last week's message is really important here. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And the only way that miracle was possible is because of a little boy who gave all that he had. I mean, it would have been a sacrifice. If you remember, he had five loaves and two fish. And it would have been a sacrifice if he said, I'll give you one of each. But he didn't. He gave sacrificially in faith. Because if God didn't do something, he would have ended up as hungry as everybody else. But he was willing to take that chance. It was sacrificial in faith. That's the difference. In a moment, we're actually going to make the commitments we've been praying about, talking about. We've known we're reaching this point. If you're a guest here today, don't worry. I'm going to give you an easy out. You don't need to be freaked out right now. But in a moment, we're going to make the commitments that we feel God has put on our heart to be a part of this. For those who feel God has called them to be a part of this. But before we do that, I, I want to just kind of pause and give you a... A very brief, but what I think is very important, other message. Because I want to make sure no one here has missed the point. Over the years, I've been in ministry long enough, over the years I've heard people say things like, I don't give to buildings. I don't give to programs. I give only to people. And they may be very generous people, and they give lots to missionaries, and they give lots to people in need, but they'll never give a penny to the church. I need you to understand what we're actually doing. This is not about a building. It is about people. When you came in the door today, you were given a stone, right? If you would pick up the stone that was given to you when you came in today. I want you to hold it for a moment. And I want you to know what the Bible says about you. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you, yourselves like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. You, every person 
who comes to know Jesus as their king, every person who comes to worship God is one stone being added to a spiritual house. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. When we talk about giving to build a building, I want you to understand, all we're talking about is building this. We're building this so that God can build this. You see, when you came in, you also noticed that there was a, a, a stone with a question mark in your chair. You had to move out of the way, right? The question mark represents the people who have yet to say Jesus is their king. The stones with question marks represent the people, the crowds that I believe God wants to send to come and know him and to worship him. It goes without saying there wasn't room for your stone and the one with the question mark in the chair at the same time. Which is why we're building something to give God more room. This question mark right here, this is the person that you work with every day that you keep praying for and inviting to church and God will bring them into his spiritual house if you keep praying and you keep inviting. This, this is the one that represents your neighbor that you've been praying for and you've been inviting to church that God is going to add to his spiritual house this this is the uncle that if he doesn't come to know jesus soon you might help him to be done because you're tired of him you've got that family member that you just can't stand anymore they need god but if you keep praying for him and you keep witnessing to them don't worry you won't have to kill them because god will add them to theirs to his spiritual house we are building this so that God can build this. It's about people. Because this is where the gospel is preached. This is where ministry is offered freely. This is where people encounter the presence of God in worship. And this is where people's lives are changed eternally and they are saved. Because this is the local church. That's what we're building. The only question is, do you want to be a part of it? It's not about a building. It's about people. Eight years ago, you may not know this. We haven't always been here. Eight years ago, we used to meet in an elementary school. And every Sunday, we would drive up, every Sunday that the truck started, we would drive up with a 24-foot U-Haul. And we would unload all of these chairs. Yep. And then after the church service, we'd put them all back in the truck. We'd unload all of this equipment and then put it all back. We'd unload all the nursery and we'd put it all back. And you see how that goes? Coffee makers and everything else. And it was getting a little tiring. Can I say? It was a little tiring to do that all the time. And then sometimes the truck didn't start. So we had good motive to say, can we stop doing this every week? And, and I had been looking around to come up with ideas. And, and I went to the team and said, they're building a brand new warehouse park on Clemson Road. Maybe we can move into one of those spaces. It'll be there all week. It'll have a sign on the road. It'll be a little more visible. Maybe it'll be easier for people to come and meet us. We had about 50 people then. And we didn't do what we're doing right now. We didn't have a good preaching series, and we didn't come up with a three-year time to commit and to give. We, we just said, hey, look, everybody, we want to do this. So bring what you got next week. Whatever you got next week. And it wasn't a lot, but it was a lot, given it was 50 people in less than a week's notice. And because those people gave, we've moved into here. 
And in the last eight years, through relationships and life groups and messages and Easter and Christmas and everything we've done, people have come to know Jesus and make him their king. In the last five years alone, we've had 182 salvations and 112 baptisms in this building because we're in this place. Yeah, that's worth something. You want to know what else happened over those eight years? We had 50 people at the school, and last month we averaged our record high attendance of 536. We've grown by more than 10 times. Yep. So here's my point. When those people gave, they weren't giving to a program and they weren't giving to a building. They were giving to every life that's been impacted for the last eight years. And more importantly, they own a piece of the inheritance in heaven. And that's just the truth. That is the way that works. Six weeks ago, we began this series. And we told you we're taking a spiritual journey. And the spiritual journey has now ended. It is time for you personally to figure out what is the vision God has for you. Are you going to surrender to him? Are you going to hear his voice? And if you do, are you going to follow his voice? Will you believe him to do something miraculous through you? And then will you leave a legacy with your life? It's also the time where we want to answer that as a church. We know what our vision is. We feel we've been surrendered to that all along. We hear his voice. We follow his voice. Right now, we need a miracle more than before. We coined a phrase last week when we talked about that little boy in the feeding of the 5,000. We said this. We're only going to get there if we become the boy in our story. If you keep looking around the room waiting on a millionaire to do this, they're not. I mean, I'm still praying for an individual who can give a million. We need a miracle million. I'll just tell you that. That would that'd be really nice. Because three and a half million is going to be what we can do and what the banks can help. And I'd love it if we could cut the banks out of that picture. Don't you think that'd be awesome? But our journey has ended. And it is time for us to say if we feel like we should be a part of this, and if so, what that's going to look like. If you're a guest here today, relax. If God has not put it on your heart to be a part of this, relax. In a moment when, when we fill out these, these cards and, and, and you put your name, write Mickey Mouse. And I'm not kidding. Write Mickey Mouse. Everybody, I don't want anybody to feel pressured because they're not writing. I want everybody to have their card. I want everybody to write. Nobody feels like anyone's staring at them. And you write Mickey Mouse because... All I've asked for all along, let me read the last passage I have for you today. It comes, out of, it comes out of when Moses, not David, there were a lot of projects. This is a different one. And Moses was asking the people to help him build the tent for the tabernacle. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service. All who were of a willing heart whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. All I've ever asked is for willing hearts. That's all I want today. And if your heart's not willing, God bless you. It's okay. It's okay. God brought us this far. God will take us the rest of the way. Nobody is under any pressure here today. That's my promise to you. Is that good? I'd like to walk you through this and let's do this together. So if you're not with your spouse, I'd invite you to get with your spouse right now. So we can do this together. The first part of it, if you would, turn to the front. The front's very easy. Who are you? And again, if you're a guest here today and you don't feel to be a part of this, maybe you're not a guest and you just still feel that you're, you're giving all that you can already. And I said, don't switch buckets. It won't help. Then you write Mickey Mouse. And I don't mean that. You can change your name later if you really have something to give. 
If you would, as you fill out the front, do us one favor. We, we forgot to ask for one piece of information. If you would give us your email at the bottom because we need it. We don't have it. Go ahead and take a moment and do the front of the cards. And then when you are finished with the front, before you start filling out the back, let me, let me talk you through the section on the back. Make sure you understand what we're doing. There are a couple of different blanks. The first blank represents your total commitment from March of, of this year to February three years later. Why is this three years? Well, the reason is very simple. Stop writing for a second and let me have your attention again. Sorry, school teacher in me. But when we come and say, this is all I have, how can this make a difference? And I think most of us are in that place. There are not a lot of millionaires sitting in here right now. We say, this is all I have. How can I make a difference? And the answer is overtime. To do this again and again and again over time. And we're not going to get to three and a half million in one year or in one month. The truth is, some of us, it's going to be a huge sacrifice for us to give a thousand this year. The reason we're doing three years is because maybe you can do that every year for three years in a row and become 3,000. Just tripled the difference you can make. There are some who have a little more loaves and a little more fish than the rest of us, and they're going to be able to give 10,000 this year. And maybe they can do that every year and it becomes 30. We're going to need that. And we're going to need those, and I know it's not all of you, but we're going to need those who can do 25,000 a year and 50,000 a year and 100,000 a year. I'm still praying for the miracle for the one person who can do a million. I don't know who it is. I don't know if they're here in Grace Life. I don't even know if they're in Grace Life. But I'm praying, and I can do that. So the top blank is where you write down what you feel God is going to have you do over that three-year period. And then next week is the first time we're going to ever give any of this. And so the second blank is what portion do you think you can give next week out of the top blank? So you're subtracting. They're not two different things. It's a part of that. Does that make sense? And here's why next week is so important. Because we're never going to actually start building until we get a certain amount of money to get moving with. And so we need to, to, to get that direction headed. And so there's someone, there's a businessman who wants to help us get there. And his deal has been this. I will give a matching gift for these next couple of weeks in March of $200,000. Dollar for dollar. If we can give $200,000 over the next couple of weeks, it just became $400,000. And that's worth celebrating, don't you think? Yeah. And so whatever portion out of that top blank that you feel you can give and then coming next coming weeks here in March, put it in that second blank. The rest of that is just telling how you think you'll do the math, how that's all going to work out. But I do want to highlight one, one little thing about this fine print down here at the bottom. This is not a debt. Maybe some churches work that way. Maybe you've been a part of one of these in the past, but we're not doing it that way. This is not a debt. This is an act of worship between you and God. As long as it's on your heart to give, please do. And if at ever any point it's not on your heart to give, then, then stop. We want willing hearts. If your financial situation changes, it's okay. This is not a debt. This is your intent to worship God, and that's it. And we'll pray for us, and then we'll give you time to talk with your spouse, to finish a conversation maybe you've been having for a couple of weeks, or confirm a conversation. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be a part of what you're doing on the earth. 
It's our privilege, and we do call it a privilege to actually give to you. You see, you didn't have to save us, you didn't have to bring us into your kingdom, and yet you did. And then you actually turn to us and say, you can do something that will make a difference in other people's lives. And that is our privilege, God, we thank you for it. Right now, God, I ask you that we would hear your voice clearly and you would speak to each of us if you want us to be a part of this and if so, how you want us to be a part of this. So I pray right now, the voice of the enemy will be silenced. There will be no pressure, no condemnation in this room that everyone can hear freely and respond freely to your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.